text for this morning's sermon is Luke 24, 44 through 49. Luke 24, 44 through 49. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. And everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should, su- should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Uh, Father, I ask that your word that we look at this morning would sink into our hearts, that we would receive it as your word, that we would receive this as your commission to us, that this is what you have planned for our lives, that we would take this gospel. So Father, we pray for conviction, that we would be rightly convicted where we uh, need to be, Father, that we wouldn't despair in that, uh, but that we would come to Christ for forgiveness and then that we would uh, be faithful stewards of your gospel. So Lord, I ask that you would help us now in Jesus' name, amen. We're down to the very last couple sermons in this long journey through Luke. Uh, Several years uh, working through this gospel and it culminates, it culminates with a commission and an ascension. Christ leaves after commissioning his people. And his people are given a mission. That's why in our church covenant, when you become a member at Sovereign Grace, the seventh paragraph says this, we commit to being a part of the great commission given by Jesus, which involves speaking the gospel with their mouths validating the gospel with our lives, seeking the gospel discipleship of others, and supporting the spread of the gospel worldwide. Now, there's a reason why that's at the end of our covenant. That's what we've been left to as believers in Jesus Christ. It's the purpose of the church. The Great Commission, as you probably know it, is probably from Matthew 28. It's where we get the most detailed instruction. Luke speaks more of the ascension of Christ. The Great Commission is in our text. Matthew says this, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's the charge. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Charles Spurgeon speaks of this commission, and he says this, reconciliation by the blood by the substitutionary sacrifice of the infinite Son of God is the message of our ministry. If we, do, if we do not testify to this, it were better for us that we had never been born. 
For if we do not preach this constantly and incessantly, we have missed our main topic. We have failed in the great commission which our master sent us to execute. Spurgeon says, if we fail to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, it would be better that we had never been born, for we fail at the very mission that we were sent to accomplish that we were left and sent out into this world to accomplish. It's convicting to think about. Sometimes we can think that the whole point of our existence is just merely uh, living the best we can until He comes. As though we're to survive, we're, we're, we're to not only survive, but have eternal life, a full life on this earth in God and just live till we die and forget that we've been given a mission. We've been called to proclaim something, to say something. John MacArthur writes this in light of this commission. He says, that mandate is for all believers throughout all history. Not merely those who heard the Lord speak those, these words. The gospel of Luke ends by putting the reader in the same position as the apostles and disciples. Everyone who names the name of Jesus Christ is responsible to proclaim the truth. The baton has been passed down from generation to generation. And it's our responsibility to pass it on to the next generation. To fulfill the Lord's command to spread the gospel around the world is overarching. All cons- is the overarching, all-consuming purpose of the church. Everything else, including understanding and teaching sound doctrine. Worship, fellowship, prayer, pursuing holiness and engaging Christian service is important and beneficial. But to do all of those things and not proclaim the gospel is to reject the purpose for which those things exist. They are not the goal, but rather the means to accomplishing the goal of proclaiming the gospel and undergirding that proclamation with lives of credibility and integrity. MacArthur says the reason why we've been given prayer, we've been given church, we've been given a call for sanctification and to live holy lives is for the purpose to proclaim the gospel and have evidence of a changed life. So that when that gospel is heard, they see a transformed human being. They see someone who is different. Have you thought about coming to church that way? Have you thought about listening to preaching in that way? In worshiping God in that way? When we get to heaven, you will not have this mission. When we're there one day, in His presence, the Great Commission will no longer be given to us. That will not be our mission. But we've been given the Gospel. We've been entrusted with the Gospel. We've been given the mandate to proclaim the good news of the gospel to the ends of this earth. MacArthur called it a baton. The song we sang of those who carried flaming torches that fell and died and those flaming torches hit the ground 
and other people grab that torch and they proclaim it. And the reason why you and I are here is because people have been faithful. Christians have been faithful in proclaiming the gospel for 2,000 years, been faithful in carrying that torch. And that's the mission that you've been given. That's the mission I've been given. And it's convicting. We can forget why we're left here. We can forget why God has allowed us, our sin nature, to die so slowly. And we've been given the Spirit to be conformed into the image of Christ so that when we're proclaiming the gospel, we're not hypocrites. But we are sinners saved by grace who are seeking to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And so as we come to this text, we'll see three main things. First, that we've been given the gospel. Now, the disciples at this point still don't have it. But you read Luke's second account of, uh, that he wrote, which is Acts. What you see is the disciples finally have it. They finally get it. They no longer are confused about what's going on. And the reason why they're not confused is because of this text. Jesus, before his ascension, brings everything to understanding for them. So look at verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. So Christ has appeared to them as they're gathered, as they're talking about. There, there's an empty tomb and the two on the road to Emmaus are bringing uh, their account of their encounter with Christ and Peter's talking about it and Jesus shows up. He said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now that's the whole Testament. That's the Pentateuch, the first five books of the, of the Old Testament. And that's the prophets, the major and the minor prophets. And that's the Psalms, which represent the wisdom literature. Job and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon. And what Jesus is saying is, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So here's what he wants them to see. Everything that's just happened is crucifixion and his resurrection was written about throughout the whole Old Testament. You can see those things in every part of the Old Testament. In Genesis, you can see his suffering as the serpent strikes the heel of the woman. In the Psalms, you can read Psalm 22 and you can see Christ being crucified on the cross and the suffering that he undertook there. You can see his resurrection in Psalm 16 when his body never saw decay. He shows them that the whole Old Testament is all about him. And they're about ready to be commissioned. And what they have to learn is that when these apostles go out, they don't have the New Testament to do evangelism. It hasn't been given yet. So what they have is the Old Testament text fulfilled in the very events of Jesus' life. He is the Christ. He is the fulfillment of those things. And we looked at uh, so many of those things. We look at how he's the seed of Abraham. And 
through Isaac and the tribe of Judah and the line of David. The Old Testament tells us he'd be born of a virgin, that he'd be born in Bethlehem, that he'd be betrayed by a close friend for 30 pieces of silver. And with that silver, they'll buy the potter's field. What's Israel going to do with the 30 pieces of silver? Go buy the potter's field. Zechariah tells us that's the lordly price for him. All this was written in the Old Testament. All the way down to gambling for his clothing. That he would be pierced. That he would be a substitute. And die in the place of sinners. Which is why from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, at the beginning of Luke, in Luke chapter 4, when he got done giving his sermon in the home, his hometown and he read Isaiah uh, 62, he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on, on him and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The person standing in front of you is the fulfillment of the Scripture. And then we get to the end of Luke, and in Luke 22, verse 37, he says, I, For I tell you, Scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for what was written about me has its fulfillment. And so he's showing them how what he just went through, what those apostles just went through with him were talked about already in the scriptures. They already should have known it. So that when you see Peter preaching at the beginning of Acts and you see Paul preaching, what are they doing? They're preaching Old Testament texts showing how Christ is the fulfillment of these. And in verse 45 of our text then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So they get it now. They get it. And said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer. Here's what's written. Now there's three infinitives in the Greek text. It's like a verbal noun, which gives us the main thrust of what Jesus is saying here. And the first one is the word suffer. Thus it is written, the Old Testament talks about the suffering of Christ. And on the third day, rise from the dead. Psalm 16, Jonah, three days in the belly of a fish, so Christ would be. The Old Testament spoke of his suffering and his rising. What he's he, he's simplifying the gospel for them. The Christ, the God's Son, the God-man, came to suffer and die and rise. That's the message that you have to proclaim. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins so he suffered and was raised so that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed. So people who hear the gospel, hear what has happened, recognize their need for Christ and repent, will experience salvation. What is repentance? You, you, you toss that question to the average Christian. Do they know what that means? That repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I think it's helpful to go back to Luke chapter 3. Because that statement, if you were to just sit down and read the gospel of Luke, you would say, I've heard this before. I remember John the Baptist saying the same thing. And what we see here is Jesus is tying his ministry with John's ministry. There's some that say their ministry is different because Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit, John baptized with water. 
but they're preaching the same message. Luke ties them together. In, in Luke chapter 3, it says, the word of God came to John. This is going to help us understand what repentance is. The son of Zechariah in the wilderness, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He's not proclaiming something different. Who's John going to proclaim? Christ. Who's John pointing to? Christ. Who can forgive sins? Christ. And so if you want in on John's baptism, you better come with repentance. And so here's what he says. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, this is, this is Isaiah 40, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And then in Isaiah 40, he says, behold, God. And so the one who's going to come, just like you would prepare a town for a king to come through and you would clear the streets so everyone could look down kind of like at a parade and see the king coming. John's ministry is to make the mountains go down, the valleys come up, make a straight path so that when he says, behold your God, he's right there. And the way John does that is he reminds people that they're sinners and they're in need of a Savior. They got to see God. If they're going to have comfort, they have to see Christ. And so John's ministry is a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins because there is no one that will behold Christ and grab onto Christ if they don't know they need repentance. And then look at what he says in Luke 3. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. And Matthew tells us as he saw the Pharisees and many of the leaders of Israel. Luke just leaves it general. He said to the crowds that came to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, you you sons of the snake, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He knew they showed up not for a savior. They didn't show up for salvation from God. They showed up with their righteousness. He says, the only one coming for this baptism better be coming because they know wrath is on their head. And the person coming to this baptism is looking to God for salvation, looking to God for forgiveness. So he says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He knew the intent of their heart was not right. John was a prophet. If he's a prophet, the leaders in Israel better look important and stand next to him. Well, they show up and they get offended. Because he knows their hearts. His preaching is like Christ's preaching. He exposes them. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say that we have Abraham as our father because that was going to be their argument. What are you talking about? We have a right to this baptism. Abraham is... Our father, we're children of Abraham. And then what does he say? He says, for I tell you, God is able to raise up from these stones children for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. And this is what he tells Israel and those leaders. He says, right now, you think you're in because you're sons of Abraham. And right now, This tree is being chopped down before your very eyes. And if you want to be children of God, you need to repent or you're going to miss the Christ. So he points at Christ, says, behold, the son of God. And who didn't see it? The righteous hearted Pharisees that had no repentance. Their life proved it. 
He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, this is just a side note. We baptize believers in this church. We're a believer's baptism church, and this text is an important text for us. Are we really going to baptize our unsaved children when John won't even baptize the leaders in Israel before they're saved, before they have repentance? And then Luke connects Christ's kingdom preaching and John's kingdom preaching together? No. We baptize those who are showing the fruits of repentance. Those who are trusting in Christ. And so repentance then is recognizing your sin and you're deserving of the wrath of God. And so you're fleeing from the wrath. And as you're fleeing away, you see a Savior. You see Christ and you say, that's what I'm turning to. That's where my hope is. This could be illustrated in Jeremiah chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. Israel has exchanged Yahweh, their God, the creator of the universe, for idols. We don't have time to go through the whole text, but I want to show you part of this. Jeremiah 2, starting in verse 4. We're still illustrating what repentance is. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? So Jeremiah's saying, God's saying through Jeremiah, so what was it about me, Yahweh, that you didn't like? What was it that you would choose worthlessness over me? See, that question there, so you've rejected me and you've gone after this, so tell me how I let you down, Israel. And then look at verse 10. He says, For cross to the coast of Cyprus and see, send a Kedar and examine with care. See if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. He says, go to the ends of the earth. You go to China and you'll see the gods of China set up and they're going to stay set up and they're not going to change. Look at all the idols in, in all the surrounding areas. The worship of Baal. Are the other nations going to exchange their gods? No, they're going to hang on to those gods that are no gods, but Israel, who has the real God, are going to exchange the real God for those gods. That's what he's saying. And then he calls all of creation to be appalled at this. In verse 12, Be appalled, O heavens, At this be utterly shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn out for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. If you want to know the best definition for evil, I think it's right there. You have the living God that's described as a fountain of living water, and you have a broken well over here and evil is you know this is the living God and you know this is empty and you say I'm going to choose what is empty and what repentance is and it's granted by God it's only by grace that a fallen sinner can even come to repentance you come to your senses and you say that broken well will never satisfy it'll never satisfy That sin which I continually choose leaves me more guilt on my shoulders and more empty. It won't satisfy. 
And as this person becomes bankrupt and poor, having no righteousness to point to, they become like a beggar mourning over their bankruptcy. And they start to hunger and thirst for something different, for righteousness. And they look over here and there's Jesus, the spotless Son of God, perfect righteousness that showed up in the flesh and went to the cross in that sinner's place and died their death so that their sins can be wiped away. The wrath of God can be taken off their head. Perfect righteousness can be put in their account. That's repentance. This is my life. This is what I love. This is where my hope is found. Sin. But by the grace of God, I recognize the wretched, rebellious state I'm in. And I turn over here and I say, that's life. Most people, though, will go to their deathbed seeking after another idol to make themselves happy. Christ is here. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to chase money. I'm going to build my business. I'm going to find another spouse. I'm going to do another hobby. I'm going to create a bucket list. To the day I die, I'm just going to be after this empty well. But when the gospel is proclaimed and God takes the blinders off the sinner's eyes and repentance floods in and faith in Christ comes to light. That's the mission we've been given is to carry that gospel to a world that sits in darkness. In Ezekiel 14, here's how Ezekiel the prophet spoke of repentance. He says, Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts. Meaning they put their hope in them. They've taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? And then in verse 6 he says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent! Turn away from your idols. Turn away from your faces, from all your abominations. Quit finding your hope in idolatry. You don't need to get to the New Testament to find out that God is the one who is the Savior. God is the one who forgives sin. God is the God of grace who forgives iniquity, who has compassion. And so we see that we've been given the gospel. The Christ came to suffer and to rise. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sin, and here we get point two, we have been given a mission, should be proclaimed in his name. There's our mission right there. Should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. What it means to be in his name is it's in Christ. His name represents the person and the work of Christ Forgiveness of sins can come in Christ alone. And we're to proclaim his suffering that Christ came and he suffered and he rose. To bring about repentance and the forgiveness of sins. It should be proclaimed. This word proclaimed is caruso. It means to preach. It doesn't mean to just talk. You know, well, that's interesting. I, yeah, that's interesting. Well, try this thing out over here. This, uh, this idea that we have as Christians, this is an interesting idea too. That's not what we're sent to do. What we're sent to do is to proclaim the good news of the gospel to the nations, to preach it, to herald it. 
to speak with authority from the king. A herald, a proclaimer is commissioned by the king to say, hear ye, hear ye. And these people are in darkness and we have the gospel of light to preach to them. We've been called to make disciples. And I know disciple making is more than evangelism, but it's not less than evangelism because you can't disciple a non-believer, which means the gospel has to be proclaimed to the lost world. And look at what our text says here. Proclaimed in his name to all nations. That's the purpose, to bring it to the nations. And it might start in your house. It ought to start in your house. And then it ought to start in your workplace. And then as you make money, part of that money you give should be to a church that is giving money to missions worldwide so that our lives prove to be about the main mission we've been given to proclaim his name to all the nations. And this is the shocker for the apostles. This is the hard thing for them. I mean, you read Acts 10 and 11 and you see how hard it is to get Peter to eat unclean meat. God has to give him a vision three times, put him in a trance-like state where God has to tell him, Peter, kill and eat, because it is so ingrained in their mind that it's all about Israel and everyone else's dogs, and God has no interest in the rest of the nations. And if they would have read the Old Testament with their eyes open, they would have saw that's crazy. Abraham's family is to bless the nations. Right? You read Isaiah... There to be a light to the Gentiles. They should have expected this, but it's hard for Peter. I mean, God has to do a supernatural miracle, and when he saves Gentiles, he has to cause them to speak in tongues to show them that they also are saved. And then it clicks. Oh, we're to take it to all nations, even to the Gentiles. Here's how Isaiah 49.6 says, I'll make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Or Isaiah 52.10, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations that all the ends of the earth shall cease the salvation of our God. And then we get to fast forward to Acts 13.47. Paul says, for so the Lord commanded us, saying, I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. He didn't suggest it to them. Well, now that you're Christians, you might want to think about telling someone about it. Paul says the Lord commanded that we go be a light to the Gentiles. We've been called to say it, to talk about his suffering, to talk about his resurrection, to talk about how the suffering is a substitute. It's not enough to just be nice people and to grow in holiness and kindness and generosity. Those things are to be fruits of the Spirit that cause people to say, why are you different? And then Peter says, when you get asked that question, you have to be ready to tell them the hope that you have, why you have that hope. You've been called to it, and I've been called to it. Not just pastors, not just paid evangelists. Every believer is called to share the hope that they have. And I know that's convicting. At many levels, we are failing at this. We tend to think the mission is just survive. Just survive and as a pretty good person glorifying God. And yet we've been given the best news in the world to people that are dead in their trespasses and sins and heading towards destruction. Heading towards destruction that we can't even comprehend. The wrath of God for all eternity. And what do we do with it? We need to proclaim it. We should proclaim it. 
Is Luke not telling the truth? Is as, as Christ not telling the truth as Luke records? That it should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So the first witnesses finally understand it and they grab the torch and they say, okay, this is the purpose of my life. And then they die for proclaiming the name of Christ. But then other people that got saved by their preaching pick up the torch and they start proclaiming it. And then they start proclaiming it. And the apostles saw the miracles. They got to see all the supernatural. They got to see the confirmation, not only in the Old Testament, but also the supernatural miracles. But what do we have? We have the New Testament. We have the fulfillment of the canon to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to proclaim, to pick up this torch. Young people, children, I don't care if you're four or five years old, God has called you, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, to share the good news of Christ. Parents, teach your kids this and then be convicted by them while they tell you, aren't, aren't you going to go tell them? Mommy or daddy, is that person saved? Who's going to go tell them? I know that's happened to Laura and I. And one of my daughters marches right across the road. And we're sitting there praying, going, oh man, there's guts there. But this is what we're supposed to do. This is what we're supposed to do. Proclaim the hope of Christ. You are witnesses. You are witnesses. What did Jesus tell the disciples right at the beginning of his ministry? Follow me and I'll what? Make you fishers of men. I'll teach you how to catch men. And the way you're to do it is you're to proclaim him. The one who catches men. Turn with me quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse 17, we read, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone, anyone, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away, and behold, the new has come. This is 2 Corinthians 5. Now look at verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's your mission. That's your ministry. Your co-workers are in rebellion to God, facing the wrath of God, and you have the message that can reconcile them to God in Christ. That is, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Repentance is not becoming perfect. It's turning to the one who is perfect, to the one who doesn't count your trespasses against you because you have faith in Christ. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That should just weigh on us. It's been entrusted to us. We can sit there and we can look around and say, oh boy, the world... Man, it's going to hell in a handbasket, isn't it? Oh, yeah, boy. I don't know. You see these commercials nowadays? Boy, things are going awry. Man, it's getting bad. I can't believe, you know, the politics is just crazy. And we sit around and shake our head. Yeah, this is bad. We wonder, what's God going to do about it? Well, here's what God did about it. He saved you. He filled you with the Holy Spirit. He gave you a mission. He gave you a message of reconciliation. And he said, go. That's what he did about it. He's called us to not hate those people, but to love them enough to die at their hands, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus to them. And then look at what he says. Therefore, 
Here's a good term for you as Christians. We are ambassadors for Christ. What does an ambassador do? Speaks on behalf of the king. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So here's what God's saying to the lost world. Be reconciled. Look at my son. Be reconciled. Be reconciled. And he's chosen the voice to be your voice and to be my voice. And he didn't just say, tell them. He says, implore them. Plead with them. Why would you die? Why would you face the wrath of God without Jesus? Who's going to tell them if not you? You know, we'll pray for people we love and we'll say, Lord, put someone in their life that someone might, because it's just hard to be the one. But how do you know someone is going to be there? When you know it, you already want it, you know the message, you love them, you can plead with them in tears, you can take some lumps and still stick around, even though it hurts. God has called us to be ambassadors with Christ and then we implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. And then we have a summation of the gospel. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew, knew no sin so we might become the righteousness of God. We're ambassadors. We're to take this message. And once they're saved, yes, we're to teach them to observe, to obey everything that I've commanded. We don't just leave them high and dry once they come to know Christ so that they're a baby Christian their entire life like a good chunk of Christians in America. Maybe been in the church for 40 years and they're still on, on milk. They haven't been discipled. They haven't had someone older than them come alongside them and disciple them and show them how to observe, how to obey, how to practically obey what God has called us to. We're going to do part two next week, by the way. But I do want to show you Ephesians 4 before we end this point. This is a familiar one you've heard us talk about a lot. Look at verse 11. Before this, he says, some gifts have been given to the church. He says he gave them apostles. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. You might think to do the Great Commission, but that's not what it says. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Well, how does the body of Christ grow? It grows in maturity and it grows in numbers. And God's plan to have that done is not through the apostles and not through the pastors. It's through the people that are equipped. Yes, me as an individual, I need to share the gospel. I need to be an evangelist. But this text says, I am to equip you for the work of ministry. And if you read the rest of this passage so that you can not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, that you can speak the truth in love. And what is the truth? Christ came, suffered, and he died for sinners. And you have been called. Spurgeon says, before he left the disciples, he gave them the great commission, which is still binding on all of his followers. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Spurgeon also says, No man at the last will be able to say to the Savior, You set your servant an impossible task. You gave them an instrument to wield which is not at all adapt to produce the end. He says, No one will be able to get there and say, You know what? You didn't give me what I needed to fulfill the commission. Because the gospel has been handed to them. The scriptures have been handed to them. And what we're going to see next week is not only 
were they able to understand, but he, what did he tell the apostles? They got all sorts of zeal now because they get it. And now he's got to pump the brakes on them. They're ready to go. He says, no, you don't go anywhere until the Spirit comes upon you in power. Ten days later, the Spirit comes. That's what we'll look at next week. And we'll see how this gospel, it's not done in our own wisdom, in our own strength, and in our own power. But it's powered by God. We've been given what we need to proclaim the gospel. Does it take courage? You bet. Is it hard when Jesus says, anyone who's ashamed of my words, I'll be ashamed of them? That's, a, that's hard. That's why the couple of verses before that, he says, take up your cross. And dying on a cross is always hard. It's always hard to put yourself out there and get beat up. But you never know when God will save someone. And then if you've been ever a conduit to God ever saving someone, you know when that happens, there's nothing better. There's nothing better on the planet than being used of God that someone might be saved. Yes, God does the saving. Spurgeon says, pray to God that does the saving and then go do it like you got to do it yourself. Meaning, knowing the fact God doesn't work shouldn't stop at all our pleading and our work in the work of evangelism. Father, thank you so much that you help the disciples understand the gospel so that they could pass it on to someone and they could pass it on to someone. They can pass it on to the next generation. And here we are. Father, thank you. Thank you for the privilege to carry the best news in the world to a lost world. And Father, we do pray knowing that this is impossible in and of our own, that your spirit would empower us. Lord, I pray that you would take whatever conviction that we might feel in this area, that you would bring us to the feet of Christ, the one who forgives and the one who says, go now, go, you're forgiven. The guilt's gone, you're empowered. Go, preach the gospel. Make disciples. Father, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.